have your Bibles tonight, would you open them please to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Tonight we're likewise beginning a brand new sermon. No other character in the Bible information about in their life. This is going to be a long series, but I believe it will be a blessing to one and all of us if we will come with open minds and open hearts and seek to learn. Tonight, a look at David's heart. The autopsy of the heart of David. Let's read some scriptures together if we may. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's begin by looking at verse 7. And the Lord spoke to Samuel the prophet. And he said, Look not on his countenance. Look not on the height of his stature. Because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For a man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let's turn back to chapter 13, if you will. 1 Samuel 13. And once again, we read something very interesting. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. But now the kingdom of Saul shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be the captain over his people. Because Saul has not kept that which the Lord commanded him. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And the Lord shall give him command, shall give him rule over his people. Now let's go back to 1 Samuel 16. Look at verses 12 and 13. And he sent and brought David in. Now David was ruddy or fair of eyes, and he had a very beautiful countenance. He was handsome to look at, and the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, Samuel, for this is the one that I spoke to you about. This is the one who has the heart that I'm looking for. Verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil, symbolic of the Holy Spirit of God, and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Interesting. When God chooses a person or a people to serve him, we sometimes scratch our heads with questions and doubts about God's judgment. Would you not agree? I do. Think with me just a moment. 
If you wanted somebody to go and deliver your people from captivity, if you wanted somebody to go and confront the ruler of the known world of that day, who had at his command the mightiest army in the world of that day, who was probably one of the richest kings of that day, would you choose a man who stuttered and stammered, who had a speech impediment, who couldn't even finish a sentence without mumbling and bumbling. Well, God chose Moses, who was exactly that. God chose Jacob to be a patriarch. And Jacob was a liar. God chose Abraham to be the one to lead his people, to look for a city not made with hands. And who did he choose? Abraham, an old man that was feeble. God chose Naomi, a widower, to do his bidding. God chose James and John to be apostles, and they had an explosive temper. God chose Peter to be one of the inner circle of his apostles, and Peter had a problem. He was a boaster, he was a braggart, had a tendency to put his foot in his mouth. God chose Jonah to preach the greatest revival in known history to Nineveh. And Jonah was a man filled with bias and prejudice. God chose Miriam, and she was a gossip. God chose Thomas, and he was skeptical and doubtful. God chose Martha, and she was a major league worrywart. Would you have chosen those people? Don't look it so pious at me. You would have said, Pastor, I ain't cho choosing that crowd. That's a bunch of losers. That's a bunch of nobodies. That's a bunch of ain'ts. You can't do nothing with that group. But God chose them. And may I say God deliberately chose them. Because God chooses people like that to prove a point. What's the point? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty men, not many noble men are called of God. God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound those which are mighty. God chooses the lower things of the world, the things which are despised. God chooses these. Yes, he chooses these things that are not to bring to pass things that will be. And why does he do it? That no person will glory in his presence. Why did God choose you? Why did God choose me? Because he saw we were nobodies. That for his glory he could make into somebodies. As we enter 1 Samuel 16 and begin the story of the life of David, God has a problem. Did you know God has problems occasionally? God has a problem. What's the problem? Israel needs a new king. 
They already have a king, but they need a new king. Now, Saul is the current king. He was the first king of Israel. If you read about Saul in the Bible, he's everything you would want a king to be. He was tall and he was good looking. He was smart and he was athletic. He had humility in him at times. He was a very kind-hearted man at times. He was well-liked. The people loved him. On paper, nobody had a resume like Saul. In person, nobody impressed you like Saul. He was head and shoulders above any man of his day. But Saul had a problem. He had a problem. What was his problem? He wouldn't listen to God. Did you catch that? He had a problem. His problem is he would not listen to God. When God told Saul to do something, Saul would deliberately choose not to do it or to do it halfway if he even tried to do it at all. When it came to following God's orders, Saul was a rebel. And rebels are devils. The devil was the first rebel who defied what God said. And anybody who follows him and is defiant to what God says is a rebel too. And Saul was a rebel. And God can't use rebels. Better said, God will not use rebels. And so God begins to search for a new king. He searches for a man who will listen to him and more importantly will obey him. A man who will have a heart like God. Now that brings us to another question. What does such a man look like? How can you find such a man? If you're looking for a man that has a heart like God, if you're looking for a man who will listen and obey God, where do you look? Where do you look? How does such a man look like? Well, when you ask a Bible question, you answer me. You go, where do you go to get it? Your Bible. Every question you have about the Bible will be answered in the Bible. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. The eyes of God are constantly searching. Searching the world over. Searching the church over. For a man or for a woman or for a young person whose heart will be perfect. You say, Pastor, nobody's perfect. But the word perfect doesn't mean perfect as we think. The word perfect means committed, compliant, submissive, obedient. Men and women who have a heart like God 
men and women whom God is searching for are men and women who are compliant and submissive. They're obedient. They are called people after God's heart. These are the people that God calls and uses. These are the people that God wants. People who will listen to what he says and they will do it. A man who will simply obey God, humbly obey God, to the best of their talents and gifts that they were born with naturally and given supernaturally. They will do what God says. God looks for obedience. What do we look for? We don't look for that. We look for people with money. We look for people with muscles. We look for people with magnetism. We look for people with mental prowess. We look for people who are movers and shakers. We look for people with musical talent. And God says, I don't need any of that. I just need a man or woman who's willing just to, when I say something, they'll do it. Obedience. Now, what areas of obedience perhaps God would be looking for? Well, may I suggest three areas that I believe David was obedient in. And when God went on the search for a king, he said, I'm looking for a man who's obedient. I'm looking for a man who has a heart of obedience, a heart of submissiveness, a heart of compliance. I'm looking for a man that I can trust to do what I tell him to do to the best of his ability in at least three areas. Area number one, God was looking for a man who would be obedient and worship. And worship. It's interesting, David was a worshiper. It says in Psalm 105, verses 1 through 5, these words. David wrote these words. He says, give thanks unto the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing songs unto him. Talk you, testify of all of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength and seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works that he's done, his wonders and his judgments of his mouth. David's talking about worship. David loved to be with God's people in the house of God of his time to worship the Lord on regular appointed days. David loved the Lord. He loved God's people. He loved coming together with them for the purpose of, help me, worship. Let me say a word about church attendance. Because when we come to church, we come to worship, do we not? We come to worship. Church attendance does not save you. You can come to church from the day you're born to the day you die. 
But church attendance will not save you. Church attendance does not make you holy or righteous. You can come to church every week, three times a week, of every month, of every year you're alive, and it's not going to make you necessarily holy or righteous. Church attendance does not make you better than somebody else. I'm a big shot. I come three times a week. You a little shot. You come once a week. And you a no shot. You don't come at all. Church attendance does not make you better than anybody else. It doesn't make you holy or more sanctified than anybody else. It certainly doesn't save you. But let me tell you what church attendance does. It allows you to worship with other believers the Lord God. It measures your heart. That's what it measures. How much do you love the Lord? How much are you willing to sacrifice to come back and be with God's people on God's appointed day in God's house to worship Him? Is it not a sad commentary in many churches that they can't get nobody to come back on Sunday night? And because they can't get the people to come back, they just decide they're not going to have any services on Sunday night. They're not going to have any services on Wednesday night. How sad. In a day when God is looking for people after his own heart, he can't find them in church because they're not there. David was obedient to worship the Lord. Are you and I? There's an old saying that says, ten drops of rain to keep a hundred Baptists out of church. I'd like to change that and say, no rain to keep a Baptist out of church. David was also obedient in another area. He was not only obedient in his worship of the Lord, but he was obedient in his following of the Word of God. Psalm 19, verses 8 through 10, the words again of David. He says, The statutes or the principles of the scriptures of the Lord are right. They cause rejoicing in the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure and enlightening to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, it endureth forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and the righteous altogether. The word of God is to be more desired than gold, yea, even fine gold. It's sweeter than honey, even the honeycomb. God's looking for a king. He searches across the world. He searches in the church of his day. He's looking for a man who has a submissive heart, an obedient heart, a man who will be obedient in worship. He's looking for a man who will be obedient to the word of God. You see, David knew the God's word. He knew it. He spoke of it. 
He showed it. He shared it. He obeyed it. He lived it. Not perfectly. Nobody's perfect. But burning in his heart was the desire to take what he learned here and what was put there and to live it out each and every day. You see, David knew God. How did he know God? Because he met God in the Scriptures. He knew the will of God. How did he know the will of God, Pastor? Because he found the will of God in the Word of God. The Bible is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Do you want to know God? Know His Word and you'll know God. You want to know the will of God? Know His Word and His will will be revealed to you one step at a time. You know, we have two things missing in the church today. Glaringly missing today. The first is Bible preaching. And the second is Bible knowledge. And they both go together. It's getting hard to find men that will preach the Word of God anymore. There's not a lot of preachers anymore. There's a lot of speech givers. There's a lot of monologists. There's a lot of rhetorical noise. There's a lot of talkers. But you're hard-pressed to find a man that'll preach anymore. You say, how do you know? Because that's what people tell me. In fact, they can't find a preacher on Sunday night because they're not a church open on Sunday night. And because we don't have biblical preaching anymore, we have biblical ignorance in the pews. There has never been a time in the whole history of the church when God's people know so little. What do we know? We know opinions. We know hearsay. We know tradition. But we don't know the Word of God. You say, Pastor, how can you make that statement? Look at all the craziness that goes on in the church. And why does it go on? Because all it takes for craziness to prevail is for good people like yourselves who know better to let it happen. And most people let it happen because they don't know any different. What do you know? I know what you know, Pastor. <laughs> well, what do I know? You know what the church knows. Well, what's the church know? It knows what the Southern Baptists know. Well, what's the Southern Baptists know? They know what you know. We're like a dog chasing his tail. We can quote everybody else, but we don't know the Bible ourselves. I've never lived in a day when there's so much kookiness in the church and the pulpit and in the pews. And it's because God's people don't know God's word. We want to be fed by somebody, but we don't want to feed ourselves. You know, have you heard that? Ah, I'm going to church, it'll feed me. Well, why don't you feed yourself? The only people who don't feed themselves are babies. 
A man or woman who's an adult feeds themselves. It's my job to stimulate your appetite, to give you a desire. But if you want to know the deeper things of God, you've got to spend time in the Bible to learn them. Go to Sunday school. Go to discipleship classes. Get in small groups. Most of you think, well, if I just put the Bible under my pillow and lay my head on my pillow, it'll sink in. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. All right. God's on a search. He's looking for a man, a man after his own heart, a man who will be compliant, a man who will be obedient, a man who will be submissive, a man who will do what he's told. God is looking for that man. God says, I want him to be obedient to me in his worship. I want him to be a worshiper. I want him to be obedient to me in following the word of God. I want him to be obedient to the scriptures, what the word of God says. That's what I want him to do. I want him to know it and I want him to live it. Then one more thing. I want this man to be obedient with his love for people. I want to look into his heart and see that he's a worshiper. He'll worship me. I want to look into that heart and see that he will follow my word because he knows it and he's going to do it. And I want to look into his heart and I want to see. I want to see that he loves people. He loves people. You know, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment found in the Bible? Some religious leader asked him that question because they wanted to trap him. They were always trying to trap Jesus. But that was like ants trying to trap a person. He was so far ahead of them. But one of them wise guys came up and said, Lord, Lord, Lord. You know how they do. Oh, we know you know your Bible. We know it too. Lord, help us understand what's the greatest commandment in the Bible. Jesus said to them something astonishing. He said, I can tell you right now in about one sentence the greatest commandment in the Bible. Love the Lord thy God with all of your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And love your fellow man as you love yourself. In doing that, you have fulfilled the law perfectly. Love. Do you know David loved people? David had a heart for people. Even when people tried to hurt David, and he had a lot of them in his life that went after him. Some of them went after him verbally. Some of them went after him physically. David had a lot of agitators. David had a lot of enemies. But you know David showed tremendous restraint and not trying to retaliate. He really loved people. Do you know he really loved Saul? In the latter years of Saul's life, King Saul, he became crazy. He went off the deep end. He became filled with demonic powers. He became a man that was bent on destruction and death. He was after David. He wanted to kill David. He repeatedly tried to kill David. And yet David never raised a hand to Saul. And David could have killed him twice, and David wouldn't do it. Mephibosheth was a crippled man. 
He was a nobody. And yet David loved Mephibosheth because he was part of Jonathan's lineage. And David had promised Jonathan, I will take care of your family, though you not be here. David loved Mephibosheth because he was part of Jonathan's loins. And David took that cripple of a man and brought him into the palace and treated him like a son. He didn't have to. He wanted to because he loved Mephibosheth. And then there was a man by the name of Shimei. He was a foul-mouthed man, vulgar, profane, the kind of person that just gets on your nerves every time they open their mouth. You know anybody like that? Don't point at him. <laughs> and every time David was around that man, he had something foul to say. It got so bad that one of David's bodyguards said, Listen, I would like to not only take his tongue out of his mouth, let me take his head off his shoulders. And David said, Just leave him alone. You know, David loved that man, even though that man was a pain in the neck. Then there was Abner. Abner was one of his generals. You always think your generals will be faithful to you. Abner wasn't. Abner betrayed David. Abner took the side of a rival. He tried to overthrow David off his own throne. Yet when David won the victory, they brought Abner to him. What are you going to do with Abner? And David said, let him go. And the military generals around him raised their eyebrows. What do you mean, let him go? He's a Benedict Arnold. He's a Judas Iscariot. He tried to stab you in the back. And David said, I know. But I forgive him, let him go. You see, David learned something. When you love people, you don't retaliate against them. You don't touch God's anointed. Who's God's anointed? You are. If you're born again, you're one of the anointed of God. And we're not to touch one another verbally or physically. The Father handles discipline, not the children. And David understood that. He gave those men to God. He didn't argue with them. He didn't gossip about them. He didn't try to smear their name. He didn't plot. He didn't murmur. He didn't whisper. He didn't fight. He simply said, Lord, what they're doing is wrong. I forgive them. You take care of them. And you know, God does in his own way, in his own time. He takes care of those who are, are antagonists. God takes care of his own. He just tells us to love those that abuse us. You say, Pastor, how can he say that? What did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
The one who created could have just spoke the word and a hundred thousand angels could have appeared. The slaughter would have been immense. He could have struck Pilate dead. He could have struck Herod dead. He could have struck Caiaphas dead. These were wicked men. But he didn't. He gave himself to the Father and said, The Father will deal with the most. And that's what David did. A very good picture of Jesus. He said, Listen, I'm not justifying what they've said or done. It was wrong. But I'm not going to dirty my hands doing what God can do. And he let God do it. Tonight, God isn't looking for a king. But God is looking for sons and daughters that will obey him. Men and women and young people who will simply obey what he says they will do. They will obey him enough to come to worship. They will obey him enough to follow his word. They will obey him enough to love people. When God looks into your heart, what does he see? When God looks into my heart, what does he see? A lady one time came to her pastor. And she said, Pastor, would you explain obedience to me? What is it, Pastor? I've got a lot of different definitions from the dictionary and from reading and from talking to other people. Pastor, what is obedience? And the pastor reached into his notebook and tore out a blank page. He said, obedience is when you put your name on that blank page and you pass it to God and you tell God to fill it out and whatever he puts on it, that's what you do. That's what obedience is. It isn't telling God what you will do. It's simply signing the check and saying, God, you fill it out. Whatever you say, that's what I'll do. No excuses, no alibis, no detours, no delays, no arguments, no halfways, no redefining, no pouting, no rebellion, no ignoring. I will obey, period. And when God can find a man or woman like that, God can use them to change the world. I close with a story, maybe you've heard it before. A story that occurred during World War II, Operation Barbosa, the Nazi surprise attack on Russia. And as the Nazi Germans stormed across the Russian border in force, three million soldiers, thousands of tanks and airplanes, they quickly advanced against the overwhelmed Russians. The Nazis arrived at a town in the Ukraine. Most of the civilians had already fled, and most of the military that was there were dead. So as the Nazis entered the Ukraine city, 
they're surprised to find an old man standing in the middle of the street. An old man with his fists clenched, with an axe in his belt, shaking his fist at the Nazis, defying them, challenging them. Well, the Nazis, as they approached, thought it was comical. Hundreds of Nazi soldiers, SS troops, the finest Germany had, troop carriers, tank destroyers, Mark IVs, the finest armament in the German army is there. And here's one old man, one old man, standing in the middle of the street, raising his fist. You can picture that. Well, the Nazis are laughing. Oh, that they, this is hilarious. They toy with him. They surround him and they toy with him. They laugh at him. They poke sticks at him like you would a bear in a cage. They mock him. And after a while, they tire of it, and the commander of the group says, get out the branding iron. We're not going to kill this old man. He ain't worth a bullet. Let's just put a branding mark on him. So they took out a branding iron with a swastika. Soldiers win, and they grab the old man's hands. And he's resisting them, but they grab it and they hold it. And they put that branding iron right in the middle of his palm. And they burn into his palm the Nazi symbols of justice. And then they walk away, and the old man, looking at his hands, shaking. And tears swell up in his eyes. reaches into that bed. And he's got that old hatchet. He takes that hand that was branded. And he cuts his hand off. Blood begins to pour profusely out of the wound as his hand lies there. Defiantly looks at the Nazis. And he said, That hand may belong to Hitler, but my heart belongs to Russia. Wow. That hand on that ground, oh, that may be Hitler's. You may put the Nazi symbol on it. My heart. Who's got your heart tonight? Who does your heart belong to? Does it belong to God? Or someone or something else? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.